got into sales and, and your journey mm-hmm. within sales? Of course. Uh, I mean, I'm one of the statistics, right? Uh, the people that fall into sales. I, I actually studied philosophy in uh, Scotland. And uh, I kind of realized that that doesn't pay a lot of bills. Mm. Uh, and a lot of the potential jobs were basically McDonald's and company. So I thought, okay, what else can I do? I wanted, I liked people. So I thought, let's get in HR. And then I realized getting HR is really difficult. So I, I, I thought there were a lot of jobs for recruitment. And I was like, oh, this sounds okay. Oh, it looks like it pays a lot of money. And uh, I then realized probably two, three months in the job that it was actually a sales job. And that's, uh, that's how I started basically working in sales. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like a lot of people have a misconception around what recruitment actually is. Like I, I remember mm-hmm. being on, um, I was on a, I think I was on Tinder and uh, mm-hmm. one of the girls was like, what do you do for job? And I said, I do recruitment. And she was like, oh, do you work in HR? And I was like, no, I'm a rec-. And it, that, that's what most people think, I think. Like people don't realize it's, you know, highly business development focused, highly sales uh-huh. focused and a lot more complex. I, I used to have a slightly different answer to what do you do when I was a recruiter? I was like, I'm a modern day's human trafficker. And they were <laughs> like, what, what, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I sell people literally. And they were like, are you joking me? It's like, well, yeah, I get paid to find people jobs. Like, That's a different way to put it. It's like, yeah, well, same concept, right? Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Especially I think in continental Europe, recruitment is more HR. But mm. in, in the UK, you like if you learn the British way, it's it's sale. Mm. Was your um was your first recruitment job in the UK then? No, it, it wasn't. I basically applied for I went like most graduates, applied for a bunch of jobs, got an interview for a recruitment agency in Scotland, uh one Michael Page, and then yeah. the only one that gave me an offer right away was uh, a place in Czech Republic in the middle of nowhere. Uh, okay. But it was run by English guys. So like their culture and we were recruiting from Czech Republic for Europe. So it was mm. basically like a, instead of having the typical London agency recruiting for Europe, we were just based in Czech Republic. That's the main difference. Yeah. Okay. Did you not get the job at Michael Page then? No, no. Just for an interview. I think I wasn't sharky enough. But I didn't, I didn't come across uh, like I was enough of a cat for a guy. I um, I I, I failed an interview at Michael Page. I had a uh, two three-hour interviews with them, and uh, three, they're, the, the, they're the only ones. Three hours. Yeah, I was exhausted. I was really exhausted. Um, and they're the only ones that um asked me to uh sell a pen. Uh, in the interview, no, and you... I did it because I did it. No, I actually did it successfully because I was really into Wolf of Wall Street at the time. Because this is about. This is about two years after Wolf of Wall Street came out. And um, the funny thing was, about two days before, I was watching a Sell Me This Pen video with Jordan Belfort and uh-huh. Piers Morgan. And uh, <laughs> so I'd been practicing. I'd been practicing. And when he, when he, when he, uh, we were talking about Wolf of Wall Street, and he just, he just went, okay, mm-hmm. sell me this pen. And I did it. And he said I was one of the first people to do it, but he still didn't offer me the job. <laughs> uh, well, it, it probably thought, you know, this guy's going to take my job. That's why. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it was. Um, maybe. But yeah, sorry, you were saying, so So you got into sales and then obviously you got into recruitment. So um, mm-hmm. like how, what, what's your journey been like through then? How did you learn how to sell on recruitment? Uh, and then what have you been mm-hmm. doing like, you know, up until, up until today? Well, basically like I, my, my recruitment career is a bit different from most people because I only worked in one company. And I just climbed through the ranks. I got lucky when we started. It was like 40 of us. When I left, it was like almost 300. Mm. And then I just worked from resourcer all the way up to director, let's say. And uh, I I thought we had a really good sales training. That was my impression. And then I walked out of recruitment. And that's why why I I walked out. I was like, look, I I really like training. I like training junior people. I'm going to do my own thing. I think I really know how to sell. And then I realized that most of my sales skills were actually just uh, enthusiasm. Um, right. And, uh, and I actually didn't know them. I mean, our selling was feature advantage benefit and uh, needs-based selling and all these things, right? I'm not joking. I'm not joking. No, same for me. Uh, and it, that, that was it. That, that's, and, and we thought we had really good sales training. And then I walk out of it, and um, I decided I wanted to to sell to SaaS companies because I was a bit tired of just working with recruiters. And I realized that wow, that's a all different world of how sales actually works. And yeah, that's so that's that's been quite a quite a tough uh, awakening in that sense. Yeah, the, the, I was the same. It, this is the this is the interesting thing about recruitment because when you're in it i mean the thing is i i had a slightly different journey so i had a slightly different perspective on things because i did mm-hmm. five years in normal sales not tech sales mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. but like different types of sales jobs then mm-hmm. went into recruitment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um recruitment my perception of recruitment at the time was like it's very specific to recruitment and mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're not selling a product so to speak are you you're sort mm-hmm. of you're almost trying yourself. to like, sorry. You're selling yourself. That's that, that was my impression. Whenever a recruiter, especially if you're 360, you're literally selling yourself, your brand, your ability, etc. Yeah, it's it's also very like timing based, and most agencies. Mm-hmm. Well, most agencies, not so much now, because there are a lot of good agencies that have started in the last few years who who are selling way more than just candidates. But um, mm-hmm. you know, go back seven years ago. Um, you're mostly selling candidates and hoping you sort Mm -hmm. of arrive at the right time right like most Mm -hmm. of my calls at the time especially when i started out were are you recruiting and if you're not recruiting Mm -hmm. when are you recruiting next (laughs) so yeah that that does ring a bit of a bell how do you go about recruitment how do you work with agencies etc yeah it's that that's the thing and i do genuinely believe that recruitment is probably top five hardest sell jobs that there are out there in terms of, not in terms of the job itself. The job itself is very simple, generally. But it's the, just the competition is so mental that uh, especially at the beginning when you're building your brand, your clients is just a, a ridiculous amount of work. Uh, and if, you co- if I compare it to SDRs, I don't think when I look at SDRs in SaaS, the level of working compared to what I've seen junior recruiters do is is not is nowhere close. But um, mm. 
it, yeah, it is very specific, basically. It's a very particular type of selling. Yeah. So, so when you came out of recruitment, then what was mm-hmm. your like? How did you start learning how to sell on a more like advanced level? Like, what were the routes that you went down? Who did you speak mm-hmm. to? What books did you read? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So basically, when I was, uh, I took like four months off, and I bought twenty sales books. Read them all. Don't remember a thing. I swear to God. Like <laughs> just they all just merged together after a while. They all like really written in the same thing one after the other. And my initial business plan was I'm gonna go on Lucia. I'm gonna get a hundred, two hundred mobile numbers of sales directors of any company size and I'm gonna call them. That mm. was the plan. Right. Uh I said, boy, I called a guy from Microsoft. It was literally was like, you're joking me, right? I, that's what I realized. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> what, what, what am I doing here? So I realized that obviously it was not going to be like that. And so I, I reduced it. And then I realized, okay, I, I, I recruitment. What do I know? Recruitment and HR. So I started targeting only small, medium enterprises that sold recruitment or HR tech. Uh, and even then, I learned how to do cold emailing because I was only doing cold calling before. I learned how to do a bit more LinkedIn, etc. And then, like I think nine, six to eight months in, I probably I was emerging cash. I was like my expenses were still super high because I was still living the dream in my head. And uh, I just realized, uh, you know, I had probably like two net months out of nine. And I was like, I'm going to suck and like, I got to do something. And in, uh, what was it, like December or January? I think Jan- maybe, maybe January, January or February, I took a masterclass with Benjamin Dennehy, um, yeah. Zach, uh, Zach and uh, Jack from We Have a Meeting. I think you had them on your podcast recently, right? And, um, and basically, I, I thought, these guys are pretty good. That's a very different way of doing this. Mm. Uh, and basically, at, at my darkest time, I was taking a lot of holidays, a lot of bullshitting around. And then I was like, you know what? I need to get better at this. And so I, I sent a message to Zach on LinkedIn and be like, hey, Zach, uh, if I offered to come and work for you for a week for free, what would you say, right? And then the guy was like, Wow, that's that's a that's a bold move. And then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna call him. So I, I go Lucia, I find his mobile, I call him, and I sell myself in further. And and what happened is that I was coming back from Cuba, I landed in Prague, I unpacked my suitcase from the like uh, summer clothes, packed it with winter cl- with uh, I think autumn clothes, and just uh, flew back to London same day, jet lagged and everything. Then I got to London, took a train to Bournemouth, and the day after I was in the office to make cold calls. And uh, I think that was my real awakening moment to be like, okay, now I, now I think I can actually start being a real uh, sales trainer. How did the cold call go? I'm fucking awful, man. Really? Fucking awful. I, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm coming from, I, I don't know. I recently you were in recruitment, but the style we had is like, hey, I'm going to call you. I'm going to pitch you with some benefits for you. 
no problems. There was we didn't do that at the time, or we didn't know about doing that, at least not in my company. And I'm just gonna objection handle you, right? And I was also coming from a Italy, which was an easier market to sell into, I would say, compared to the UK. So it was basically in a week, I I booked two two meetings plus two referrals. And I had a guy, 20-year-old guy called Kit next to me. Two months of experience, he was booking a meeting every two hours. I was just like, what the hell is going on? I've got 10 years of experience. I was making six figures. What what the hell is happening here? But that's when I realized that I really didn't know jack shit about uh, real sales. Interesting. So, So you were there a week, right? They're a week, yeah. So what did you, like, in that week then, what did you mm-hmm. learn? And how did you, like, how did you come out of that week different? So mm-hmm. you're, you're walking on the Monday and you, you walk out on the Friday. Mm-hmm. What are the fundamentals that you learned and how did you then, um, you mm-hmm. know, like the following week, how did you, what, mm-hmm. what did you change straight away? I think is what I'm trying to ask you. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, the the major shift for me was well, okay. Let, let's make a premise, an important one. I I've seen a lot of people call calling. I've I've follow a lot of advice. I watch a lot of videos. I bought, I bought a lot of courses, coaching, and I genuinely believe that these guys are on a different planet. I I mm. would say that they're on a trajectory. They probably might they will be better than Benjamin Dene. And Benjamin, okay. if you're hearing this, I'm so, I'm sorry. I've met you. You're a lovely blog, but these guys are obsessed with it. So for me, it wasn't. Go- I, I think I'm compared to the world of cold callers. I was okay, but when you're compared with the world's elite, you feel very small, and that's what happened to me. Uh, and the main takeaway that from that specific experience is that they built a structure of how you run the call which is exclusively around psychology. Mm. And it's exclusively around almost being a therapist for the other person, which is kind of what Benjamin preaches a lot. And they're just probably taking even a step further than that, I would say. And because of that, like if you start running the call in that way, you really will get incredible results. I think that their their conversion rate on sales calls is there was a guy there, his conversion rate was one meeting every fourteen calls. Fourteen conversations. So people picking up the phone, but they would include wrong numbers. Yeah. Sorry, they would include this is not the right person. I'm retired, whatever, right? So let's say the data was twenty five percent wrong. So you probably every ten real conversations the guy would be booking a meeting on average. So that's like 10% conversion rate. The average is something like between one and two. So that's 500% better than the best average and 1,000% better than the uh, lowest. And Zach and Jack can probably do like 15, 20. Hmm. So it's just completely, there's just no one like that on the planet. At least not that I've heard. Let's put it this way. Yeah. So you were like, you walked in thinking you were really good and walked out thinking, like, what well, have I been I, doing I, last I, year? 
I, 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 I walked in knowing that I had things to learn. I walked out knowing, okay, I'm going to have to work really, really hard to fix this. And yeah. it's actually, I think it's harder when you've done things the wrong way because my brain was, you give me an objection now, I can still handle it in two seconds, especially a recruitment one. I, I'll, I'll try to force you into agreeing with me, but that just is not as effective as getting the person to agree with themselves, right? Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's, so I, I think your biggest takeaway was the real focus on the prospects, on you and psychology, on active listening. So it's really like quite a lot of awakening in that, uh, in, in that week. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's a quote that, uh, I think it's, um, Benjamin, uh, posts quite a lot. It's, um, a man who's, no, what is it? Um, a man, a man who's convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Yes, 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 exactly. And look, don't get me wrong. I know from my previous recruitment success and I know from all the crappy salespeople on this planet, you don't need to be a master of psychology to do some sales. Sometimes these tactics will work because the prospect is already half the way there. Right. Yeah. Or they will work because you got the right timing, etc. I mean, Grant Cardone is probably the worst uh, psychological salesperson on the planet, and he's still a billionaire, right? Mm. Because he's, he's he's willing to put in the work, etc. So everything works in sales. It's just that I generally believe they put together a predictable technique to get better results that would just will work more in the long term, etc. Yeah, well, it, it's that for me in recruitment and sales, it's that because the bar is so low in recruitment and sales, like basically anyone can get into it. No, I'm not saying yeah. everyone can yeah. do it to a good level, mm -hmm. but, you know, mm -hmm. there are way more bad salespeople and bad recruiters than there are good recruiters, right? Because you can, mm -hmm. you know, I can mm -hmm. set up a recruitment business tomorrow and start selling and recruiting. Same with sales. Mm -hmm. Like, um, mm -hmm. But there's definitely like a good enough factor. Like I feel like if you if you got some decent training, um, mm -hmm. and you like had a decent work ethic, and you were like a seven out of ten salesperson, you could probably do pretty well. Um, yeah. Grant Cardone's a funny one as well because have you seen his? Uh, you probably have, but you have you seen his uh, Jordan, Jordan Belfort, Belfort interview? Yeah. Oh my god! I I had to stop. I couldn't watch past 10 minutes. It was too cringy. Like, I was literally struggling. It, it just felt like watching Trump, to be honest. Mm. It was like an interview with Trump, just not answering questions, just going back to like, well, because it's, it's all about the belief, man. It's all, you know what? I, I, you just got to call the person back and make the sale, man. That, that's, that's it. That's it. Just looks like a recovering coke addict. After like a very long time, it's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible, terrible. Really, really terrible. Yeah, it's. I watched the whole. I think I watched the whole thing twice. I loved it because I was really into Jordan um, a few years ago, uh -huh. and um, uh -huh. I used to listen to a lot of his podcasts. So when that one came out, I'd never, I've never actually um, read any of Grant Cardone's books because to me, it's it seems like not a scam but it i feel like a lot of it is just sort of like upselling to his courses and all that kind of stuff 
It's like buy my ten pound book to then buy my thousand pound course mm. to then hire me for a hundred thousand yeah. sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. I've never actually it, got it, a lot of stuff. But is, that interview, to be honest with you, like it, it it really helped Jordan because I think Jordan actually came out of it smelling of roses, and he actually came out of it like coming across as the intellectual and you know the the more grounded yeah. person, which he usually isn't, yeah. obviously, and. Oh, grant was like it was just amazing like like you said this guy these guys are like you say sales trainers grant mm-hmm. cardone jordan belfort and then obviously a few others but it was just amazing how like this guy's made so much money and jordan was asking him like basic sales stuff so he was just saying okay cool so how do you make sales you do, you make a lot of dials okay cool but like how do you actually do the sale like just need to talk to people okay but like beyond that like because obviously a lot of people actually yeah a lot of people work hard in sales but they they get they don't get any results so what do they do next so yeah it's um it is a funny one so so when did you go and see zach and uh zach and jack uh, we have a meeting them i think it was up april i think it was uh yeah just beginning of april I was just coming oh, back was this Cuba. year this year yeah yeah Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Oh, this is cool. I thought I thought it was um I thought it was like last year for some reason. So, okay, that's that's really interesting. So, how has your last 6 months changed in terms of how you sell, how you teach? Like mm-hmm. um what what have you because obviously everyone takes knowledge and then t- remixes it and turns it into their mm-hmm. own sort of style. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like what what have you been doing since then then? Well, the, the the first thing I tasked myself with is obviously apply. So, like, I, I got myself a proper power dialer and I just started, I think I made, like, you might have seen it on LinkedIn. I'm on this road to 3,000 rejections. Yeah. Uh, which was initially was road to 10,000 calls. And I got down to 7,500 when I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it about rejections. So, like, by the, that time, I already collected, like, four 500 rejections. Uh, so like I I had gotten better and better. I I would say um if I compare myself to what I've seen there, I'm, I'm probably not even half the way there yet. because uh, I'm still learning quite a lot of the really deep psychological stuff about how you go about doing this. Uh, but what's definitely the change is the the overall approach is totally moved from trying to sell an objection angle rather trying to understand and uh, and get the person to figure out whether they want my help or not. And this has changed massively how I train because I find, especially if you've got someone that's got experience, it's even harder. There's a lot of Mm. trainers out there with their bloody acronyms and you do this and you get that. and, And this is simple stuff. You do bam, 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 and it works, right? Jeb Blount is a famous one, fanatical prospecting. You've got all these acronyms to do things, which is simple, but it's mechanical stuff that doesn't, that creates predictable results, just not great ones. While teaching uh, the methodology that Zach does, you just need to go a little bit deeper. It's a lot more listening, mirroring, labeling, figuring out what questions to ask, how to ask them, tonality. So it's just really taken me on a path to rediscover cold calling under a different light entirely, basically. Mm. Yeah, because there's 
this is the thing, right? So there's there's almost like level. Well, there is levels to it, but you've got like you know you you your fab selling and all that kind of stuff, which mm. is probably mm. very useful when you're first, you know, six months a year in sales if you've never done sales before, right? Just to get some sort true. of basic understanding. True, 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 true. But I find a lot of people they stay there, they stay at that foundational fab selling level, and then they never evolve. There's no like building blocks on top of it um mm -hmm. and from from what you're saying it's like mm -hmm. do you feel like you've you're getting like more nuanced with it like there's 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 loads of extra layers now there's a lot of like concepts that you're you figured out uh and now now that you teach mm -hmm. I, I, absolutely i, I would say I, I i still i still have uh G, both jack and zach as my coaches so like uh it's funny because Sales training is my highest source of income and my highest expense at the same time. It's it's quite a good balance, uh, and and I also have other people like a gap with call emailing a guy for you for YouTube. So I, I spend quite a lot on education, uh, but I would say like I am I understand the framework very well and I can repeat it, mm. but like when I'm doing my calling myself, and I'm at the at the place now that I could stop cold calling if I really wanted to. But I'm like, no, because I want to get to the same level than when you really have that incredibly deep understanding. And the main reason behind it is not because it's called calling the best way to do business. Possibly. I think there are more effective ones. Conferences are better. Mastering referrals is better. Direct mail is making a comeback is better. Uh, but I think the psychology that you learn by cold calling is just different. If you can execute a cold call well, you can execute a discovery call well. You can close a demo more easily. So I think that that's the part that why I insist so much on that is that mm. you do cold calling, your education in sales will be 10 times faster, pure and simple. Yeah. Here's a question for you, because I was thinking about this the other day, actually. And, um, I think it was because I think it was because I saw Benjamin actually. I think it was a podcast maybe he did or something. Um mm -hmm. he was saying how he was really good at prospecting mm -hmm. but he couldn't like sell in a meeting. Like he can he could book the meeting but then couldn't sell. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that is then? Mm -hmm. Like why do you think someone could potentially be very good at as an SDR but they don't mm -hmm. They can't then make the step up to AE because, in theory, they should be able to, right? I mean, I'm surprised that Benjamin said that because he's obviously closing a lot of deals for himself, you know. So he's probably just been humble as he usually does. But I think it was his earlier days. I think it because he was doing prospecting, wasn't he? So he was doing he was doing pure yeah, of course. calling. Yeah, 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 it was called calling for behalf of companies. Uh, I, I mean, I think I, I don't know why that that wouldn't be a connection. To be honest, because mm. the the way I see it is there's so much emphasis on closing, right? But really, it's all about removing the blockers from the way. Like whenever someone tells me, "Oh, teach me some closing techniques," I'm like, think about it this way. Me teaching you closing techniques is like you getting married because you're really good at proposing. 
Mm. No, you, you get married because you've done all the work and she wants to say yes. That's why you're getting yes. married. You can have That's the best proposal on the bloody planet. If you're a twat, she's not going to marry you, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess there are also, maybe if you pay $2 million for the proposal and she's really into money, maybe, but that's a very borderline case. So I think it's what uh, Benjamin is really good at and the other guys is disqualifying, right? So if you keep disqualifying on the problems, then the prospects qualify themselves. And I do think that the only real difference I see in sales is between the selling to SMEs and selling enterprise. When you go to enterprise, you start to look in at a layer of politics and situations that are most companies are just not used to. I, I even saw myself in recruitment. I was mainly selling to SMEs. And then like my first presentation with a very big corporate, they destroyed me because they wanted a really super polished PowerPoint presentation. They wanted us to have very clear Polish things about all the numbers, mm. et cetera, which an SME doesn't care. An SME is like, okay, can you provide me with some, some people, yes or no, right? So I, I would say I, I don't see why an SDR would really struggle to become an AE. The only thing I could see is that all that they've done is they learned the mechanical perspective style. So all yeah. they do, they're hustling, really. And they're not really good at their relationship building and the, the actual making, um, how can I say, constructing a deal, to putting a deal together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's probably that, in that, you know, if someone's very good at just cold calling and just prospecting, it's not very, it, it's a very um, binary. You know, they probably have a script. Mm -hmm. They execute the script very mm -hmm. well and they do it mm -hmm. at a volume. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if it goes off on tangents, which obviously, you know, the higher you're up, the, the, the more complicated the process gets, the higher up it gets. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. um, the higher value of the product, I suppose, it gets as well. Especially when you're doing like face-to-face -face and multiple stage. It's very nuanced, isn't it? It can mm -hmm. get very nuanced. And this is mm -hmm. where the whole, you know, psychology comes in. You need to be extremely adaptable and flexible. There's so many different mm -hmm. layers to it. Uh, which mm -hmm. is why there's a gazillion sales books out there about completely different topics. Um, yes. Maybe that's why then. That's interesting. But with um, here's something I, I always like to ask salespeople because uh, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I, I think it's probably like one of the number one things that you probably get asked, right? And I, I think you've uh, published some stuff on it quite a lot on LinkedIn this year. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Objection handling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What how do you handle objections and mm -hmm. what's the what have you learned say this year about handling objections mm -hmm. and how have you evolved that because obviously recruitment mm -hmm. objection mm -hmm. handling can be quite different than mm -hmm. the more general mm -hmm. objection handling. I, I mean look okay let me I, I think let's do something a bit more fun with this right give me a recruitment objection and i'll tell you how i would have handled it before and then I'll tell you how I would psychologically approach it now. Okay. So um, let's do, we've already got a PSL of free agencies. My son would be like, oh, that's great. So it means that you uh, at least work with agencies. So this call is not completely relevant. And then I, I'm assuming you got to get on this PSL, the relationship started from a call like this. 
Yeah. Okay. And, I like and that. then I, I, I and then I would have proceeded with like, what's the okay? Look, I, I don't want to get your piece of today. It's fine. What's one thing I can do today that will get me one percent closer to so okay, the next time I call you, you you might consider me for that PSL. Mm. Right. And that's like a threading. And this is quite a soft way, but the one thing I didn't change is you always accept the objection. This is the like the standard thing is the moment in which you you are the salesperson that goes like, yes, but you just need to shut up. Period. So the first was like, oh, that's great to hear that. I mean, at least you're using it. That's my favorite objection. It means they buy. The worst objections are I couldn't hire if you if you paid for it, or mm. I don't. Um, I'm not hiring because what do you really do with that? One has got zero, zero, zero cash to spend and the other one is not hiring. But if they tell me I'm going to be a seller, I know they buy. It's perfect, mm. right? Uh, to some extent. Now, what I've learned since um, since going with, with Zach is like, uh, they have a way to put it that I put in a, in a, in a framework. I know I said frameworks are terrible, but this one, just, just, to, just to remember it, which is, you know, the ABC always be closing, right? Yeah. Uh, and I just renamed the APC, which is acceptance. So I would accept the objection, then permission. So the guy, the, the we have a meeting guys are really good on permission. So there's like, you should always get the permission to move on with the conversation, which is something that actually Jordan Belfort is also a big fan of. You know, like always ask if you can ask a question before you do. And so it would be like, oh, like, are you in a PSL? Oh, that's great to hear. I imagine they're performing really well. Do you mind if I ask a question about that? And then you basically, the, their logic is you try to find the problem, right? Which has now become my logic. Because the one before was really about building trust. Oh, you know, like I'm sure he started with something like this. How can I do, how can I work towards you, blah, blah, blah. Now I probably would have gone something more on the lines of like, and I'm guessing they're either filling your roles all the time or perhaps you just go to them first, mm. right? Which is more trying to give them like, is there something that I can continue the conversation with? Because if they pick, well, no, they're really, they, they, we go to them first, obviously. There's a, ah, so I'm guessing there's never been a char time where you've been outside of PSL. Well, maybe there has been. It's like, oh, okay, there has been. And then I would have just tried to get them to talk more. Right, so and I'm not saying that the first one doesn't work. It's just the second one is just turning it about them instead of turning it about how can I gain your trust? How mm. did you? How can I build this relationship? Right, and that's the the overall shift. So when you're um, when you're handling objections now, do you have? Mm -hmm. You obviously have the framework, but do mm -hmm. you have like a list of I don't know ten or eleven? pre-prepared answers that you practice or is it all done like mm -hmm. in the moment with the framework in mind well look before it was i could literally you could wake me up at 2 a.m and i would know the answer because i've done it so many times now i'm at the point that i i even have the framework of the sales call still because for me it's quite fresh in my mind uh still so like, yeah. i would i would recommend unless you're really at that level that things come to you, you should always have a framework, talk track, or script to help you out. Because you, you think you're smart, but when they hit you with the objections, like someone slaps you in the face. 
Unless yeah. you've done a lot of boxing, you don't know how to react. Your, your brain goes into fight or flight mode and you need something to hang on to. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a B advocate of scripts because I was mm-hmm. I started off with scripts. So I my first ever job was um, selling broadband for um, uh, Southern Electric. Um, oh, dude, who I think tough. Were, that's yeah, really it's, tough it, stuff, right? it, it, Jesus. It yeah, it was it was pretty mm-hmm. shit. Um, but it, I think we had a script, but the scripts were terrible like really bad (laughs) and we had no script training and then we had to write our own scripts so imagine me Uh 19 years old i know absolutely fuck all about sales like seriously nothing nothing um Uh and uh, i had to write a script and it was basically hi how are you this is what i sell um do you want some and they were like no and i was like okay bye and i'd move on to the next one and make 200 calls a day um wow so I was really like put off by sales, and I think that's what—not sales, mm-hmm. um, scripts—and I think that's mm-hmm. what most people are like because they think the first thing people will say to me about scripts is, "I don't want to have a script because I'm going to sound really robotic." But I, I really like it in Jordan Belfort's book when he talks about scripts, and he's like, every Actors. like song you like or mm-hmm. movie you've seen is a script, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know. The actors in the movies probably were quite wooden robotic initially, but they practiced mm-hmm. it and they rehearsed it, and now it's great. Mm-hmm. It's just uh-huh. the script obviously needs to be good first of all, because if the script's shit, you, you can't go anywhere. But if the script's yeah. good and you practice it to the point where you can actually sound good with it, then you've got nothing to fear. It's better than just making stuff up because, um, like you said, you know, it, it doesn't matter how good you are, how smart you are. If you're not practicing and you don't have some sort of framework or script or structure, you might not have had a coffee. You might be tired. Mm-hmm. You might be distracted. Mm-hmm. Prospect mm-hmm. says something, knocks you completely off your game, yeah. derails the whole conversation, right? 100%. 100%. I mean, look, literally, and the funny thing is why probably so many people are put off by cold calling is because they started with a poor script or a, a crappy manager, and they just been trying to, how do you say, fit a pig in a square hole? Is that a peg in a square hole? Sorry, a pig. <laughs> That's a you try fit a, a, uh, a pig in a square hole. I, you, yes. you... <laughs> I love it. Yeah, like, I, I play with this all the time. I, I love being Italian because, for so many reasons because it gives you so many talking points on sales calls as well, right? Um, but yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, this is why a lot of people... And, and I also think that people hate scripts because they think it's patronizing, right? Mm. I should be smarter than this, right? And, and this is, again, another big problem with salespeople is that we have this ego. And because of that, like, it's probably so often screwing us up instead of helping us. Yeah. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. It's that, That's... A massive problem in sales generally i think i think that's why so many people are resistant to training i mean how often do you speak to sales people who um you know have you know two years experience have had some good early success made a bit of money and mm. they're like no, i don't need your help yeah no it's it's uh it's it's crazy it's great like well, i actually i i've been doing mainly b2b 
so like uh, training uh, internal sales teams, and uh, it's it's funny. But even the owners, when you talk to the owners, like maybe a certain point after I went with the with Zach and company, I I got a list of six hundred agencies in the UK, and I called literally not, maybe not every single one of them, but I talked to four hundred of them, and I I didn't even get that many clients. I was like, like five six clients out of it, and a lot of them were maybe like with fifteen consultants, be like, oh, we're doing really well. I'm like. You've been going on for 10 years. You have 15 consultants. I mean, either you don't care about growing, which is fine, but don't tell me your people are the best salespeople in the world because it's obviously not true, right? So it's mm. just the ego stuck in the way of thinking we're better than we are. And in sales, you see this probably then in, I think maybe the only profession is worse than this one is physicians. I think physicians think they're God, uh, God's gift on earth, right? But uh, uh, everyone else, like salespeople are probably the worst, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just, it's such a, it's such, it's an industry that, that pretty much rewards big egos, doesn't it? And cultures reward big egos. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, with, with um, something you said a second ago, here's another question for you. Colco anxiety, right? Very common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how do you manage that yourself? How do you teach people mm-hmm. to get over that? Mm-hmm. Well, look, the the funniest part about it is that there is no simple solution. I don't think that anyone has got a real clear solution. I mean, I think there's only two totally proven solutions, and they're alcohol and cocaine. Simple as that. And, and I'm not even joking. And I, I'm a guy that's never tried cocaine in his life, but I've, I've called cold hangover, and I can tell you I was on it. You're just fearless. You don't. You don't have the inhibitions. Like uh, all the issues yeah. in your head are just not there, right? But apart from that, like, let's start from. I don't know if it helps for people that listen to this, but you. The problem with cold calling is that your brain is wired against projection, right? And I'm sure you, the guys, told you this before. Someone else did. It, back in the tribes, if you were left out of the tribe, you would die. So your brain has developed that if people reject you socially, it's a huge, so it's a huge pain. It's yeah. meant to be 10 times worse than a slap, right? So your, your brain is going to take it personally, no matter what you do. And because of that reason, there's just nothing, that, unless you wire differently, and some people are, it doesn't matter how much you do it, your brain will still try to find excuses or, where, or try to move away from it. This is just the way that it is. Mm. Uh, and because of the reason, all, all you can do is just, I think the thing, simplest way is a habit. So building yourself routines as to what you do in order to subside it. I, I actually published this as a cheat sheet a while ago about how you can deal with this. But some of the things could be, I, I always call call in the morning because I'm fresher, for example. I always have my, set myself a target of the number of rejections I want to get in a day, which is usually a minimum of 10. Uh, and then I have things like I, I have a little diary here where I will write, I will write down every rejection. So I count them and I know that I'm getting closer to my goal. But then I'll also write things like you're in control of your emotion. I'll repeat this person is lucky to get a call from you. So a lot of this little psychological trick and every person is slightly different. There's the person that's five push-ups. There's the person that whatever. 
the good thing is that if you do it enough, you then realize that first of all, most people are not assholes. I think if I boil down the number is one call out of 20 is a real dickhead. Mm. And up, some markets are worse than others. But generally, one call out of 20 is a real bad path. Like like person having a bad day is going to shout at you. And then generally, most people are going to at least be willing to talk for a, for a, for a moment. So I, I think it's just a lot of psychological tricks and habits to cement it. I think the hardest part is like you call call one day, then you don't call call for two days, and you call call again. Your brain just not gonna like that. It's like trying to go to the gym every now and again. It's just it's just you're not gonna build the consistency. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it, cold calling? Because I feel like no matter how much experience you've got, how many years you've done it, how good you are, how much money you've made, if you don't mm-hmm. do it for a while, you mm-hmm. it. Everyone gets nervous, and I always tell people this. Like, um, my brother got into um, he got an SDR job. I think his first SDR job about a year ago, year and a half ago. And um, I was just telling him, like, everyone, like even the sales trainers you see, like you know the Jordan Belforts, uh, the Zach mm-hmm. and Jacks, Benjamin Dennehy's, Mike Weinberg's, mm-hmm. whoever. Um, mm-hmm. I can guarantee you, if they didn't do cold calling for two months and they picked mm-hmm. up the phone, I guarantee you, there's a part of them that's like a little bit nervous. Even though they yes. know they're amazing, because yes, it is it, it is it is nervy. But at the same time, um, you know, if I took, I actually did earlier this year. I took um, I didn't do cold calling for a couple months because I was trying to do some other stuff. I was trying to figure out like email sequencing mm-hmm. and stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, I was I fell fell into that trap of um, oh, if I can figure out personal branding, automation, and sequencing, I'll never have to do a cold call again. And unfortunately, um, yeah. yeah, that's not the case. It doesn't but, work like that. No, um, but, but I, I mean, it does. It does. To be fair, if you're really good at personal branding and cold emailing, you, you don't have to call cholesterol. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's more that if you don't do cold calling and you can cold call, like when I was doing startup recruitment, mm-hmm. I um I didn't do cold calling for basically two years because we didn't have Lusher and stuff. We didn't have any software like that, and mm-hmm. um. So I was like, well, I, I I literally can't call them because they don't have numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't have a number yeah, to of course. call. It's not, it's not like... Yeah, I know, you know, I know. I had the same problem. Um, I had the same problem. <laughs> yeah, because you, you were doing SMEs as well, right? So um, I, SM- I was doing startups at the beginning and, and they, yeah, yeah, you can't find them. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's what threw me off because I went from um, the first, like, I think the first four years of my career I was doing um like bigger companies with you know head offices and that sort of stuff so it's quite easy mm-hmm. to get numbers moving to the startup world suddenly no one's got numbers and you're like okay well i don't really know how to sell otherwise so mm-hmm. it's a bit tricky mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. yeah it's uh anyway my point was that when i was doing like 200 calls a day as a telesales you know after a couple of weeks of doing it even though it was terrible you just sort of like you just do it don't you, get you? Into you the... just don't really care yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. But I, I remember the first day I was in Bournemouth, I I fell asleep on my chair at six thirty, on the chair of the hotel. I, I was right. so psychologically tired because I okay. had like I, the the first day I went I went hard. Like I got there before Zach got there. I no, as soon as Zach got there, I didn't know that they had a coaching in the morning, so I just started directly with with calling, and I made three hundred cold calls. And I hadn't. I had been on holiday for two weeks. 
<laughs> so I was, and then that, I remember David, I go home and I sat on the chair and I was watching uh, something on, on, on the laptop and I literally fell asleep and woke up an hour later. Yeah. He yeah, said, uh, it, it can be emotional, emotional drain. This is what people don't understand as well. Like sales can be very, um, you, you, you know, when you get home from like work from like a sales job or a lot of meetings or whatever, or even podcasts and you're like knackered. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. yeah, especially if you've got like friends who've got like physical jobs. I've, I've done that before mm-hmm. where like, you know, I'm doing recruitment and you know, I'm just talking to the phone on the phone with people all day and go for coffees and stuff. And they're like, mm-hmm. they're like, I know, working as bricklayers or something. And they're like, your job's easy. All you do is sit down and speak to people. And I'm like, it's really tiring. It's just a different <laughs> type of tiring. Yeah. I, I, I mean, look, I, I, I always used to tell my team when we were working, because I, uh, I was a waiter in London. That was my first, well, actually, my first job was uh, stopping people in the street to sell them book subscriptions. So I also started in sales at 14. Um, but... Uh, I remember my, my first real paid job, et cetera, was in London as a waiter, and I still would prefer to do recruitment than waiting. I still think that's way harder, you know, like mm. you get treated like shit by a lot of people for no reason, you get paid shit, anti-social hours, et cetera. So I still think that it's not one of the hardest jobs in the world, right? Like, the, I think I probably prefer to be recruited a bricklayer as well, because I think I would be fucking terrible at it you mm. it wouldn't pay as good money and i would get on like knackered right so i think there's there's a hit or miss in all situations but yeah it's way harder psychologically than people think it is yeah um one thing i really want to talk to you about as well is um stoicism because mm-hmm. i've just got into it uh i'm sort of aware of it like i've been aware of it for a while um I think there's a few people I follow on LinkedIn. It's to be honest with you, I, we talk about Jack and Zach too much on this podcast. To be honest with you, but um, he uh, he's he the algorithm loves my algorithm loves Jack. Like I see his posts every day, and he's always talking about me death. Too, and me stuff. too. So I was like, uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this. So I looked at the subreddit. Um, I've got Marcus Aurelius's meditations book down mm-hmm. there, which, which I'm about halfway mm-hmm. through. Um, but what, like, how long have you been into stoicism? What does it mean to you? Mm -hmm. Well, for me, the, to make the story short is that I've always been quite scared of death as a concept. Uh, well, it's not concept, it's reality, but I've always been scared of it. Uh, cause, uh, the idea of non-existing just always terrified me. And it's only recently I read a few books on on accepting death. There's one like staring at the sun that I really strongly recommend to anyone that's that type of problems. Uh, and then when I talked to when I started having Jack as a coach, uh, and I, obviously I read Aurelius in university because I studied philosophy, so I've read I've read most of these yeah. books already. But it was like kind of the orbit. But the thing is, I've always been into quite disciplined lifestyle. So like I uh, right now it's particularly bad, but I I wake up at six a.m. every day, cold showers, meditations. So I do a lot of the physical activities that are quite stoic on its own. And then when uh, when I talk to to Jack and I was like, oh, you know how how are you dealing with you uh, with that? 
And then we started talking about stoicism, and that's when I picked up meditations again, which I had in my, I bought a few months earlier, but I haven't really gone through. And then now I'm reading Daily Stoics. I've got, uh, I'm reading The Obstacle is the Way. I I got myself, uh, Jack and Zach, we all have the same coin, which is Memento Mori. So it's just like, it, it kind of feels like the best possible religion. Right, without mm. having any of the bullshit of a religion. If you read meditations, it just kind of feels if every human lived like like Marcus Aurelius preaches, we wouldn't need AI because we would live in very good balance with the world, right? And it's just mm. such a strong ethical code, which you know, it's like you read the Bible. There's a lot of good stuff, and then it's like uh, you know, kill all, kill all the homosexuals. Or, you know, women, women, uh, if your woman is unfaithful, cut her ha- head off or hands off. Or not. Yeah. You know, so while well, you, read, you read Marcus Aurelius, there's really nothing in there that's just going to be like, oh, this is, this is bad. We should cut this out, right? And, and the overall idea of following Stoicism is more about how you can become your best self. And when I think about it, I was having a session recently with Zach, and I, I still don't feel I'm anywhere close to be as good as cold calling as I would like, right? And I just made it my mission, though, because it's about the discipline for me. And, like, I try to apply discipline in every part of my life. Because if you live disciplined all the time, you actually start to enjoy very crazy things about life. And that's what Marcus Aurelius, I think, did very well. This uh, enjoying life by not succumbing to your darkest desires. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it. Yeah, it's uh, what what do you like? So, if you could define stoicism in, mm-hmm. like, say someone doesn't know anything about it, mm-hmm. if you could define it in like a sentence or two, how would you sum mm-hmm. it up? I would say it's uh, basically the ethical code of putting discipline above your needs and in the service of other people's needs hmm. in, in I think it's not quite correct because stoicism is also about taking care of yourself right but one of the best quotes about it is like you should be harsh with yourself but accepting with others right hmm. and it's this idea that it just has this very strong balance that we all behave like that it, again, it's it's an ethical code for disciplined and harmonious living. You know, like this idea of like how to how to live your best life, but not the living my best life on TikTok uh, teenager. Just I'm gonna get drunk and uh, and take a lot of pictures that I'm never gonna look at again. It's more the living the best life as in. If everyone lived like this, humanity would be a much better species to be part of. But mm. still not concise enough, unfortunately. Yeah, the reason I ask it is because I, I, I've i read quite a lot about it, but every now and then I'm like... It, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it can be summarized in a sentence, but then people have written books about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because mm-hmm. I feel like it means slightly different things to different people. And it, it's not, you know, if it was as simple as, you know, be disciplined, 
wake up at 6am and have cold baths and just, you know, mm-hmm. stop being a little bitch. You know, you wouldn't be able to write like entire journals and newsletters about it, were you? So I always like to, I always like to understand people's definitions because like I said, it means a little bit different. It means something different to, to everyone. Um, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting mindset, which I, I do feel like most people will benefit from. And, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. like even, uh, in, uh, Marcus Aurelius's book, I think there's a bit about how he struggles to get up out from bed. Um, mm-hmm. it's so comfortable here. It's so warm. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, he has to like, he has to, he, he's like, well, what are you going to do? You're just going to, you're just going to stay in bed. Is that your purpose? Um, and uh-huh. I just find it interesting that even he he was like one of the most, if not the most famous people on planet Earth at the time. And one of the most mm-hmm. powerful, if not, if not the most powerful person on planet Earth at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it was, it's interesting to read like his um, his very human struggles that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even like peasants back then would have been dealing with. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's what mm-hmm. he's like basically... Who could you compare him to nowadays? The present United States, or maybe like um, you know Elon Musk, David Beckham, those sort of people, right? Um, mm-hmm. But they, it just, I, I think it's worth remind reminding yourself that even these powerful people, they all have these very human struggles on a daily basis that you're having. People just deal with it in a better mm-hmm. way, in a different way, right? And then there's a lot to be learned. So, so how do you? How do you implement stoicism into sales? Well, I mean, it's actually an interesting question because it, it's something I've been recently asking myself about. Um, I'm on this road for 3,000 rejections, right? And that's, for me, one of the implementations is I, I'm into sales as a sales training because I want to help my younger self, right? These guys that got no idea about what sales is, they're walking to this job, they don't know, and they can become successful and build a life out of it, right? And and I feel they know in order to be there, I want to be the best possible teacher I can be. And I don't feel I can until I prove to myself that I can have this skill set, right? But at the same time, I don't really need to because I've got a good personal brand on LinkedIn. I know how to like... Like I could be a referred business, blah, blah, blah. But it's more the, I'm doing this because I know it's going to make me a better human and a better teacher. And so it's the discipline. So I think the doing the things that are not comfortable in order yeah. to improve yourself. And probably the, okay, there's Ryan Holiday. is probably the most famous stoic alive, I would say, right? But I don't. I don't think that's accurate. Actually, probably the most famous stoic alive is David Goggins. He just doesn't call yeah. himself one, right? Because he's, he's 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 living a much more stoic life to some extent. Okay, maybe he's not very accepting of others, mm. but he's definitely living that discipline, high quality, like high output life. So, I think that mindset of the discipline of the fact that you're struggling, it means you're going somewhere, is what you should remind yourself of all the time. If you're struggling, it means you're learning. 
you don't learn anything when you're relaxed, literally. Yeah. None of the magic happens inside the comfort zone, does it? Absolutely. Cool. Um, all right, dude. Well, look, we've done an hour there. Uh, yes. We're, um, that's a really good place to, to end it. I think with, so. Uh, if people want to like work with you, speak to you, find your stuff, um, how will they find you? Look, the, the simplest way is uh, LinkedIn. It's probably where I'm the most uh, active. Uh, it's underdog sales. Uh, everything is under there. It can be on the website. There's a link to all of my various social media. I think it's basically LinkedIn and TikTok that I'm quite active on. Um, and yeah, like follow my stuff. And then if you like it, we'll see. I, I don't really sell even that much these days. I don't even have a clear offering. So it's more follow follow me and we'll keep in touch. <laughs> awesome. Quick question as well. Do you ever do like, um, do you ever, do you have any content out there where you like record your cold calls? I I only do snippets at the moment. Uh, so like uh, particular, especially when I do weird stuff. So I, I like, for example, Friday the 13th, I was using that as an opener. Hey, it's Friday thirteenth, and this is a sales call. How you feeling, lucky? You know. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw that actually. <laughs> I, not, I can't even remember exactly what I said. And another one was uh, a guy who wanted a follow-up call, and I was like, okay, before I go, do you mind if I ask a question? Like, yeah, what's your favorite pizza topping? And so, and I recorded that as well, right? So, like, uh, but I, I don't know. Like, some of the guys do the live calls. The main issue, the main thing is just I'm really shit at editing. So like recording mm. and cropping on takes me so long. But no, I, I don't at the moment. I might join one of these live call calling shows at a certain point. We'll see. Yeah, I um I I spoke to Jack and Zach about this on the podcast I did with them. And like even watching their live cold calls gives me anxiety. So <laughs> I have like mad respect for anyone who live streams a cold call, but I have it on my list to do. I'm going to, I'm going to record some cold calls and start posting nice. them because I think it's such a good way to like gain credibility with your audience, but mm -hmm. also like mm -hmm. make sure you show the shit ones, make sure you show the ones like one of the best mm -hmm. ones I saw was Jack. I was watching it live and um, Jack got quite deep into a call. It was going really well. And then he fucked it up. He said something wrong. <laughs> Um, I, I, just love I, I, I think I saw it as well, and it was like yeah. so close, so close. Yeah, it was. But it was it, again. It's, it just goes back to, um, you know, they're obviously amazing at cold calling. It's all they do all the time, mm -hmm. and now they train people to mm -hmm. do it. Um, you obviously know this, but um, it's, it's. I think it's very, very important to show that type of stuff. That even the best that do it every day, who are very good at mm -hmm. it, and they're better than probably mm -hmm. you'll ever be they're still messing up these conversations. So when you do, that's fine. That, it's that pressure, that it goes off. Agreed, 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 completely. That's totally true. I saw that. I saw a post about this from a sales trainer I followed. I said exactly this, but it's a good point. I'll probably gonna start doing it as well. You give me, you give me some good thinking. Uh, it's something that I should be adding to my list. Yeah, do it, bro. We'll tell you what, you do it and I'll do it. And then we'll, um, we'll stick it in a compilation to see who's better. <laughs> agreed agreed yeah it's a good idea it's a good idea all right david thanks a lot for having me it's been a pleasure